The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jobsolete, where we talk about jobs that are long gone. And this one is far out. Today, we're going to the moon. Well, we're not literally going to the moon, but we are learning about those few folks who actually did. In this episode, let's talk about moon astronauts. The space race. Sadistic torture training. 24 American men. That's it. Peeing on a tire. Not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Don't forget to eat and sleep in space. And after 50 years, we are finally going back. Godspeed, Wally Funk. So, Helen, what do you know about moon astronauts? I only know, I think, what most people learned in school, which is we went there in the 60s, Neil Armstrong, that famous quote. Actually, I just learned that that famous quote, which I always thought was one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, is actually... One small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. I just learned that. I just learned it too. <laughs> it's that's it's still blowing my mind. I can't. We've been misquoting this whole time. Yeah. So yeah, I think most of the audience also has that basic knowledge of this. These really inspirational and dramatic events: the Apollo mission program, which took place from 1969 to 1972. Twenty-four people have been to the moon. Only 12 people have walked on the moon. Incredibly, four of them are still alive at the time of this recording. All were American men. Here's some facts about the moon that are really fun. Did you know the moon is 4.51 billion years old? Nope. I Yeah, I didn't either. It's 384,000 kilometers or 239,000 miles from Earth on average. To put it in perspective, like if you were to travel all the way around Earth, that's 25,000 miles. So it's a bit spit out there. But yeah, so we're learning about the moon astronauts, this uh, very rare, exceptional job. That, that only 24 people have ever done. Well, should we go, should we do it? Should we hop into the Jobsolete time machine? 
Yeah, maybe a space capsule as well. <laughs> yes, we're gonna hop. It's not a do- it's not a job sleep time machine today, folks. It's a job sleep time space capsule back to 1969. <laughs> okay, so some background here. This uh, is the 1960s, and the Cold War is still going on. We've got the Soviet Union on one side and the United States on the other. The space race is a big part of the Cold War. It's really what drives a lot of this these ambitions to go to space, uh, to beat the, the Russians. And the Russians did beat the Americans to space initially. But then once the 60s came, NASA was uh, created and just really was, things were really <laughs> taken off, pun intended. We spoke with expert Loretta Hall. She's an author and freelance writer whose work concentrates on the history of human space exploration. It was literally a war, but it was a war that was only fought in technological and propaganda ways. And it was deadly serious, but it was the format that the Cold War ended up taking was uh, competition in the area of human spaceflight, something that had never been done before. But with the technological development that accompanied and followed World War II, it it began to look like this would be something that would be possible to do, to actually put people into space and even reach the moon. Wow. You know what I keep thinking about? All the poor animals that they had to shoot into space to experiment before they could put humans in space. Wasn't there a dog and a few chimpanzees that went out into space first? You know, I mean, well, there was also disasters with humans as well. But So it, it was a dangerous job, of course. I think that this is something that we... You think about these these moon astronauts. I, I know people that are just... They're afraid to get in an, an airplane to be shot off the planet to a distant rock and hope Mm. that you get there okay and return. Well, I think that leads us into the qualifications. What did you, other than total bravery and courage to be like willing to get shot off into space, what are some of the other qualifications that one needed to be a moon astronaut? Well, as you can imagine with this particular job, there are many qualifications (laughs) Instead of using their names, there was like a numerical code that identified each candidate. So it was a secret operation until the final selection was announced. There were age restrictions. I think the upper age limit was 35. There were height and weight restrictions, not only for the size constraints of the capsule, but also for the power, the lift capability of the vehicle. And it could only carry so much weight into orbit and so there were those there were education requirements the candidates had to have a degree in engineering or a physical science like physics or chemistry and then they had to have test pilot experience and especially jet pilot experience were pretty much limited to the u.s military 
And at that time, women were not allowed to perform those kinds of functions in, in the military. The process automatically excluded women. And there's some debate about whether that was intentional or not. So unfair that women were shut out of this, especially knowing what we know now about how women were so essential to the space program. But also just hearing her talk about the qualifications, you're looking for a needle in a haystack. Not only did you have to be a jock, but you couldn't be too big of a jock. <laughs> you had to be a smallish person to be able to fit into the sm- tight spaces and also be light enough to, for the rocket to get you off the ground. You had to also have these degrees and flight experience. That I see why there are only 24 people who, who've done this job. Yeah, there, but there were uh, thousands of people interested. And it makes sense that most of them, of course, came directly from the Air Force, which the Air Force had only been around for a few years. Keep in mind, <laughs> like, that was really really new too. And now we're going to get into the tests because just because you're a candidate doesn't mean it's an easy road. Like after that, you know how sometimes for a a job, there's a, oh, there's a second interview or even a third interview, or maybe you'll get a tour of the place you might work at or something like this. The process for a moon astronaut, like as far as trying to even get the job could last years. And not only that, like, so you're dedicating thousands of hours, but also What they went through is incredible. Some of the tests they made them do. The person who is most responsible for developing these tests is a a man named Dr. William Randolph Loveless II. And he first developed these tests for the candidates that were for the Mercury program, which was the first program NASA developed for astronauts to go to space. So Loretta Hall is now going to tell us about some of those tests. Dr. Loveless and his staff developed a testing regimen for the Mercury candidates that Loveless described later as being probably the most thorough physical examination ever given. And the candidates came to Albuquerque in groups of six at a time, and their testing lasted for seven and a half days straight and the testing went at least 11 hours every day. Three of the days it went longer than 11 hours. And the number of tests that each person underwent is a little bit hard to pin down because it depends on how you classify tests and subtests and so on, but it was over 80 different physical examinations. They were x-rayed from head to toe. They were subjected to physical testing that was at times excruciating. (laughs) And then after they finished that testing, they went on to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio and did another phase of testing that was physical stress tests as well as psychological evaluation. Wow. Yeah, it all makes sense. It's, it's so interesting that it started out with like hundreds of potential ca- candidates and they just were like, boom, you can't do the, you can't, first of all, you had to have the stamina to go through seven days of testing, 11 hours each day at least. Mm-hmm. So that already, if you don't have stamina, but also I, I feel like I've seen in some movies and stuff that there were like gravity tests and like you'd be on, they would spin you around in a thing and, and see if you would barf all your guts out. <laughs> there was so much. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. 
In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. That's just the tip of the iceberg. A lot of this stuff just seems like straight up torture. A fairly substantial needle was inserted at the base of the thumb in one hand, and then an electric charge was passed through that needle to stimulate the muscles in the hand, and it caused the hand to just clench and release very rapidly over and over, and it was quite painful. But that was to measure the electric conductivity of the muscles and the nervous system in the human body. That's just some straight up medieval torture right there. (laughs) You a needle into the thumb and then you electrocute your hand and you're like the monkey's like a claw with your hand and... Whoa, I did not know about that. I imagined it was stuff like anti-gravity. They spin you around, round, you barf, and then maybe they dunk you underwater and stuff like that. You know, many of these tests were designed to, not specifically to predict whether the individual was healthy enough for space travel, 
but to basically measure anything that Dr. Lovelace and his staff could think of so that after a person had taken a space flight, returned to Earth, they could measure those same sorts of things over again and compare them with the pretest and get an idea of how space flight had affected the human body. Basically, they were measuring everything they could think of. They had the end, the, each candidate had to pass a three foot rubber hose down from their mouth and, and keep swallowing until the other end of the hose reached into their stomach so the, they could, the doctors could measure the acidity of the stomach contents. They had multiple enemas with sometimes with radioactive barium that was not particularly fun. Okay. I think Dr. Loveless was a little twisted. I think you're right. I think he yeah. was, because none of these examples that she just gave is anything that could possibly happen to you in space. There's other stuff too, though, that does make sense. They were put into isolation tanks, a large tank of water. Um, I don't know how you could go to space after going through this program. I feel like you would be like psychologically <laughs> and physically damaged after just going through the training to be able to then have to go shoot yourself off into space. That's a good point. Yeah. I am going to bet money that every single moon astronaut was like, you know what? Space is a piece of cake. It was the training that was worse than going to space. I mean, space is a vacation after all this horrible torture in the training. Well, for this episode, I actually left out the skills uh, portion. And the reason why I was thinking, I was like, well, if you could just survive the qualifications part, then you got it. That's that that is the skill. Surviving all of the training is the Seriously, skill. That is, yeah, you're like you're superhero because even just to get to the training, you have to be so qualified. Like we talked about previously, you have to have an engineering degree, you have to have flight experience, you have to be so strong but small. Let's now look at tools of the trade. Tools of the trade, I'm assuming, are a rocket ship and a, a spacesuit. <laughs> For the geological activities that would take place on the moon, Dr. Harrison Schmidt who was one of the scientist astronauts in the last group that was selected for the Apollo program. And the only scientist to actually go to the moon on Apollo 17, he was a uh, geologist by profession. And he helped develop or modify tools that geologists use on Earth to function on the surface of the moon where uh, gravity is different and where completely sure of what the structure, how strong the rocks would be, or how substantial the the sand surface would be. So he developed tools that could be used for that kind of geological work and would also function when the astronaut was wearing that very cumbersome spacesuit that severely limited his Uh, use of his hands and his ability to bend over or even stand back up again when he fell down. So there were certainly tools for that. And and then, of course, they had to develop the self-contained life support system for when they would take an EVA or a spacewalk or when they were out of the spacecraft and exploring the surface of the moon. So there were significant technological requirements and tools that had to be developed. 
Wow, that is so cool. And I was just thinking as she was describing all this stuff that not only did you have to have all this scientific expertise, but you also needed to have a lot of imagination. Mm -hmm. Because if you're literally the first human beings to go to the moon and you're a geologist, you have to just imagine what's the gravity? What are the soil samples going to be like? What are the rocks going to be like? You have no idea because no one's ever seen them before. So you just have to imagine, well, it could be like this or it could be like this. And if you're wearing a giant spacesuit, there's a way that you could pick up soil samples this way, but there's this, there's this other way and let's figure it all out. Ah, oh, it's so fascinating. Yeah. And then I think the spacesuit itself, like that is the ultimate tool. Like, and to be able to go there to begin with, the uh, the spacesuit, one spacesuit, like at the time, would have cost around $100,000 to make. Today, by the way, it's like millions. Yeah. But they basically, it's like a little space capsule, you know, because one tiny little leak and you're screwed. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that is the most important tool, clearly, is to protect your ability to breathe. So I think it starts with that, like everything else is secondary. Now, th this is just a fun little story. Apparently, and this is something the Russians did, but not the Americans. When Yuri Gagarin was on his way to, to take off on that first human orbital flight, he paused and urinated on the tire of the transfer vehicle that he'd been riding in to the launch pad. And ever since then, every, well, I don't know if it still goes on today, but I know for a long time, every cosmonaut on his way to a launch vehicle would urinate on the tire of the transport vehicle. And that included Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman <laughs> who flew into space. That was part of their, that became part of their ritual. <laughs> it's, you know what? I'm on my way to space. I want to pee on something. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper 
into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. So this is the this is supposed to be the typical day portion of the show. This was not a typical day. There was no typical day when you flew to the moon. So we, there were several tests that were made in the days leading up. The conditions had to be right in the atmosphere and on the surface of Earth as well. And so basically it was like an atypical day for these moon astronauts. I mean, yeah, it's it, it that makes so much sense. Like every everything, like literally all the stars have to be aligned for for a successful <laughs> space mission. And I know for us who follow NASA and follow space missions, like you you often hear, oh, we had to cancel. We had to cancel the flight because the weather wasn't mm-hmm. good. And it's, well, yeah, that makes total sense. If you're shooting yourself off into space, you can't have bad weather. This is still something astronauts deal with. It must be a, just a whirlwind psychologically. Mm. Yeah. If only 24 people have ever done this job, the, yeah, there is no typical day. <laughs> yeah. No typical day, but it's it's such a unique experience to be the first people ever to do a certain thing and something like that, like the first people ever to go to the moon. That is like that's that's mind bending. Yeah, most people are familiar with the the first three in the Apollo Eleven mission: Neil Armstrong, uh, Buzz Aldrin, who's still alive, by the way. And Michael Collins, those were the first three. However, like uh, that with that movie, Hidden Figures, yeah. there were so many other people involved that made this possible. And there has been this push lately to recognize not only all these people involved with NASA, with the entire program, but other moon astronauts, as well as women in particular, who have paved the way for these uh, moon astronauts. So our two notable people this episode are Jerry Cobb and Wally Funk. There's been more of a push to recognize unheralded women who contributed to the America's space programs, the hidden figures type of phenomenon. So 
Jerry Cobb and Wally Funk are probably the two most, most well-known of, of those particular people. Jerry Cobb being the first woman to actually undergo those tests and do extremely well on them, which then gave impetus to, well, let's test some more women and see if she's just a fluke. And then Wally Funk being the one, the youngest of the group who not only passed the, the physical exams with flying colors, but also went on and did other tests, including the isolation tank and, and several others, and has been trying her darndest to get into space ever since. She's the only one of the Mercury 13 women who continued for the rest of her life to, to try and get herself into space. And she's still trying. <laughs> she's going. Wally Funk is going to space. Next week, as the, at the time of this recording, we're recording this in the middle of July, but next week she is scheduled to go to space as apparently with Jeff Bezos. Her and Bezos, yeah, just hanging out. I This is an incredible, it, it, it just so happens that we happen to be recording at the time that it was just announced that Wally Funk, who is 82 years old, and we just heard she passed all the qualifications, she passed all the torturous tests, she was like the perfect candidate, and they denied her going to space because she was a woman, and now mm -hmm. at the age of 82, she's going to space! Incredible. Here's two questions. Would you go to space if given the opportunity? And how much money would you pay to go to space? Uh, well, I, th I would think a few thousand dollars would be worth it. I mean, we spend that much to go to Disney World. You're <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd spend two grand to go to space. The reason that it ended primarily was financial. That was also the time period of the Vietnam War. So the United States government was spending a lot of money there and on other initiatives at home. And the space program was expensive. After we had six moon landings and explored the surface of the moon that many times, there were people who said, well, okay, been there, done that. Why go again? That was the feeling at the time. So I feel like there's still that idea that it takes so much money and so many resources to go to space. Like, why are we spending all that money when we have all these social problems here at home? And it was also, to be fair, it was also like this big science experiment. And we're co collecting samples and we're studying the moon and we're getting a, a perspective we never saw before. Maybe we can learn more about Earth when we learn more about the moon, yada, yada, which leads us to, I think, more of the bigger legacy of the moon astronauts and really the whole Apollo program because it was meant to be this inspirational thing that one of my all-time favorite speeches is John F. Kennedy. We will go to the moon and we will do other things. If you, it gives me chills every <laughs> that was time a I pretty, watch that it. That was a pretty good Kennedy impression you just did. <laughs> Thank you. No, yeah. So I think a lot of it is that inspirational side of it. We have continued to have manned spaceflight programs and the International Space Station has been continuously occupied for, I think it's 25 years. And, and we are learning a lot from that endeavor, even though it's not as impressive in many ways as sending people to the moon. So the program didn't completely end. The moon program certainly went on hiatus. There has been a real legacy of a feeling of being able to pull together as a country to accomplish a very complex goal. 
and the the idea of creating the technology to be able to send people to the moon and back safely within a decade was an extremely uh, hard challenge to meet. And we did it. There's a feeling of national pride and accomplishment, I think, that comes from that. And not only just national pride, but human pride. So basically, if we can go to the moon and and back, then we can do anything, I think, is the whole... It, It inspired so many things. It's almost intangible, like how it translated to... So when people say that it was a waste of money or it will be a waste of money to go back to the moon, I think they are slightly missing the ball. I don't know. What do you think? I I do agree with what Loretta Hall said in that it was an incredible feat. And, you know, people complain about big government and government not really getting things right. But this was one example of the government was singularly focused. There was a super specific goal. We are going to the moon. And that it happened in 10 years that they put their best and brightest minds to the task and just made it happen and sent people to the moon and brought them back safely. That's really amazing. That's so incredible. And it almost makes me feel a little bit sad and wistful. Imagine if we had that focus to end hunger or end homelessness or get us all universal health care. We have the ability to do it. It's just not the focus to do that isn't there. So on the one hand, it's, oh my God, yes, we can do this amazing, incredible feat if we really set our mind to it. And then on the other hand, it's, well, apparently we haven't set our mind to. It's inspirational and frustrating because you're like, yeah. I know we can. I know yeah. we can. See, yeah. we did this. <laughs> I think we can end the show, though, on an inspirational note because uh, we now know that uh, there are plans, multiple plans to return to the moon at, like over the next five years. NASA has announced plans to return to the moon. They are partnering with SpaceX, which is Elon Musk's aerospace company. It's a private company. They want to, quote, land the first woman and next man on the moon in in 2024. Yeah. 2024? um, That's three years. That's soon. Yeah. (laughs) By the time everybody's listening to this episode, yeah, that's two years. Jobsolete is produced for iHeartRadio by Zealot Manufacturing Hand Forge Podcast for you. It's hosted by us, Helen Hong, that's me, and Matt Beat. That's me. The show was conceived and produced by Steve Zamarki, Anthony Savini, and Jason Elliott. Our editor is Tommy Nickel. Our researcher is Amelia Polka. Our production coordinator is Angie Jaimes. And theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. A special thanks to our iHeartRadio team, Katrina Norvell, Nikki Etor, Ali Cantor, Carrie Lieberman, Will Pearson, Connell Byrne, and Bob Pittman. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.